What's going on, everybody? It's your boy Mo back with another episode of Up in Flames. I got a very special guest today. I got the writer at Sports Illustrated covering the Kansas City Chiefs. He does a lot more than that. We'll let him tell you about it. But I got Jordan Foote, aka Foot Noted. Jordan, how you doing today? Man, Mo, thanks for having me on, dude. I am really excited to chat with you, dude. Yeah, man. Hey, I appreciate you for coming on. So like I give every guest, I always give my guests the floor to explain what they do. Um, so the floor is yours. Just tell us everything about, you know, you covering the Chiefs, uh, some of the stuff you do, and then we'll get into it a little more after you go. Yeah, man. So uh, basically right now I've been with SI Chiefs for a year, and um, it's a really fun gig that I was lucky enough to get. And it's fun to just cover that team. I mean, I picked a good time to uh, cover a team like that because they definitely had some years where they weren't doing so hot. Mm -hmm. um, so that's fun. And then really since the season's over now, I've been kind of picking up draft content and stuff like that for them. So I'm doing a 100 and 100 series, which um, I'm about halfway done with right now. And I'm definitely feeling the, the effects of it for sure. Um, but man, it's, it's a lot of fun. And then I also do... Um, Utah Jazz columns, I covered them for 48 minutes. And then my guy, Rashad Phillips, uh, shout out to Rashad, one of the best basketball minds out there. I uh, write on his website also. Yeah, 100%. Like I said, I've, I've been reading a lot of your work, especially um, the 100-100 series uh, covering the prospects. But before we get into that, let's just talk a little bit of Kansas City Chiefs. So they're coming off of a Super Bowl loss against the Bucks. Um, with covering the Chiefs, I know in Chiefs Kingdom, that was probably very disappointing, but it was a successful season. Um, for You know, they were one of the two best teams in the NFL. Still arguably will come into next season being the best team in the NFL. So what was the atmosphere like after losing the Super Bowl to the Bucks? Man, it's, it's kind of a two-sided coin. Like, on one hand, you expect that team to win. And it's not fair to expect teams like that. Like teams in the NFL just don't win every year. That's just mm -hmm. not, if that happened, then it wouldn't be fun to watch. Like even the Patriots had down years. So um, people call it a failure. And I guess I get it because their whole thing was to run it back and get that second Super Bowl in a row. So like, I, I get that, but also teams are lucky just to get to the playoffs every year. Like if you have a team where they can get in every season, they can go deep in the playoffs. They can have arguably the best player in football. And that's a pretty good year, and they're going to be right back in the thick of it next season. So while it was disappointing to kind of see them lose, um, it was a blast to cover that team, and I think that next year they're going to be back in that conversation again. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think there were so many factors on mm -hmm. why they lost the game. I don't want to say excuses, but there were factors, uh, shorthanded, a couple offensive linemen. You've seen the effects of that. Um, you know, I think that was probably the, the most I've ever seen a team pressure Patrick Mahomes uh, mm -hmm. even a couple drop passes I think made a difference like I look at how that game played out and I think the couple drop passes from some amazing throws by Patrick Mahomes had they have went the other way and been caught I still think that game could have panned out a little bit different but you know um, it was really you know it was an intriguing matchup it was basically goat versus baby goat so mm -hmm. with that being said like the expectation is the Chiefs to kind of be the new Patriots. That's what we expect. It's basically Super Bowl or bust from here on out as mm. long as Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback, healthy, and Andy Reid remains the coach. I think the pieces around will figure itself out. Um, so with covering them, like being Super Bowl or bust, 
Do you think do you think they will be the next they are the new dynasty even though they just lost do you see them winning 3 to 4 championships like is that a possibility It's definitely a possibility like I like I said it's hard to expect teams to do that because that's like a once in a generation type thing but I mean they have the the GM they have the quarterback they have the head coach like you said they have all the the main pieces Kelsey is still young enough Tyreek Hill's I think like 26 like they have Tyron Matthew is not even close. I think he's 28, so he's not even 30 yet. Like, they have guys who will be there long-term. So if any team has a shot to do it, it's going to be them. I think they're best favored uh, positionally to do it. Like a Baltimore team, they kind of got hot for a little bit. They were in that conversation where they could unseat the Chiefs or whatever. Like, it's going to be the Chiefs conference, and that's saying something because there's so much talent in the AFC right now, quarterback wise. I mean, you have Joe Burrow, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Justin mm-hmm. Herbert. Like I could go on and on and on. Um, I guess Deshaun Watson for now. We don't know <laughs> what's going to happen. Yeah, we don't him. know where he'll end up. Yeah. yeah. Um, but overall, I think they definitely have a shot to do it for sure. Yeah. I mean, I won't be surprised to see the Chiefs in the Super Bowl next year. Like you said, I just look at their main core players and you, and you talk about Matthew, obviously Mahomes. Uh, uh, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. I don't see any of these those guys going anywhere. Uh, Mahomes just signed that big deal, you know. And a, you know, I think with the ten years, it actually turns out to be team friendly. Do you mm-hmm. know? Because I don't fully understand the salary cap, and everything. Do you know how him signing for ten years turns out to be more of a team friendly deal than him signing, we'll say five years, maybe two fifty, two sixty. So I think that it kind of comes down to two things. Like the first one, if they're going to get that new TV deal that's coming in soon. So then every year guys will get like, there'll be a new highest paid player or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. it'll be Dak Prescott and Deshaun and all that stuff. Like a new guy will come along. So I think that's part of it. But then also like the thing that they're thinking about doing this year, I guess I can't read their mind, but people have talked about it um, is because there are so many years on that deal you can take some of his signing bonus or his base salary, turn it into a signing bonus or a workout bonus or whatever. Like there are ways to create cap space with the years that he has. And Mm -hmm. I think like halfway through, they're going to restructure it and kind of extend maybe. So um, it just gives you more options, I think. And in an off season like this, where the cap is going to be a little bit less than usual, they can kind of mess around with stuff and and see what they can do and get creative. Okay. So yeah, that makes sense. And then like, like you mentioned, it's something I was thinking was like, okay, if he would have signed a five-year deal, mm-hmm. in five years, you look at, there'd be, at the quarterbacks off the top of my head would be like Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, uh, Deshaun Watson obviously just got his mm-hmm. extension, but then you would have guys coming up, Josh Allen, your Joe Burrows, you know, even some, Trevor Lawrence would probably be up yeah. for an extension. Yeah. So I look at he would look at how much they're getting paid and he would ask more, but to do what he got basically mm-hmm. 40-ish million over 10 years, a little over 40 million, you know, when you add all the incentives and stuff mm-hmm. per year for over 10 years, it makes a difference because in five years, if he would have came back to the drawing board, the highest paid quarterback might be getting paid $50 million a year. Um, mm-hmm. With the, like you said, with the TV deals coming, obviously COVID kind of capped the salary cap where it's not going to rise, but obviously we're getting fans back in the stands. We see that in the mm-hmm. NBA. We see that in college basketball for the tournament. So we know that the money is going to come back in. So obviously the salary cap will rise and it's always next man up is the highest paid. So to go into 
your Kansas City Chiefs in the draft. You know, like you mentioned, you've been writing your 100 and 100 series. So mm. you've been covering, for people that don't know, your 100 and 100 series has been each day, 100 days before the draft, you've been covering one prospect each day. Uh, mm -hmm. My question before we get into it, is that pertain to how each player will fit with the Chiefs or is it more so you're just covering 100 prospects going into the draft? Yeah, yeah, it's all um, Chiefs spe uh, specific. So like it's players that at least would like loosely fit. Like I did a uh, Kadarius Tony one because people were talking about him. Now the Chiefs already have McCall Hardman who's kind of that slot like gadget guy. So the fit isn't great, but for the most part, like I'd say 95 of them are direct fit like and that kind of goes into the grade that i give the players like because people will look and say oh why'd you give this guy a third round grade instead of matt miller or somebody gives them a fifth i'm like well they're a really good fit with what the chiefs have going on right mm -hmm. now so in a general nfl sense like i can't imagine being a, a general nfl scout like just doing that draft stuff because you can't looking at those guys before they even get a team is like impossible and you don't know how they're gonna their talents but like transition to a system and stuff like that so luckily um i just try to keep it as as chief centric as i can yeah a hundred percent that's like something that's tough that i want to get into so you've been evaluating these guys obviously they're fit for the kansas city chiefs so who has been like two or three guys that you've written about and, and kind of evaluated that have been tough to evaluate mm -hmm. when you talk about their translation of their game to the NFL because there's some guys who have the talent. The talent is there and what they would consider raw talent, but they mm -hmm. don't have the production on the field per se. Like, you know, we have Gregory Russo coming in. He missed a year. We don't know. You know, he's more of a projection. He could be Chase mm -hmm. Young-like or he could be, you know, whoever a bust defensive end is. He's kind of in that middle. Um, yeah. So how, who's been some of the – tougher guys to evaluate and be like yes this is the route the Chiefs need to go man I'm trying I have my little uh spreadsheet pulled up so I'm trying to access my cheat sheet man I think that uh Charles Snowden the linebacker from Virginia was a tough mm -hmm. one just because like really any of those players that are super athletic but you don't really know what else they're going to bring to the table like that's always tough um Landon Dickerson at Alabama was tough just because like obviously his tape is like top 15 top 20 but then you you look at his injury history this year he got hurt you look at his injury history the year before I think he got hurt like he only has one year where he was able to play open to close like and that's since high school like every year that dude has gotten a major uh, knee ankle I think elbow or shoulder was another one so the injury history guys are very tough um and then really not just one guy, but the offensive linemen where you don't know if they can stick at tackle long-term, like they may not be quick enough on their feet, but then mm -hmm. are they strong enough to play inside at guard? Because then there are some guys where you're just like, well, um, Jalen Mayfield at Michigan is one where I think he'll be okay at right tackle, and the dude's 320 pounds. So you would think he'd be strong enough to move inside a guard, but I'm not sure. So it's just one of those things where you don't know if guys can – transition to a specific scheme or transition their skill set or you say add weight or take off weight for some guys are they going to be able to do that like it's it's just tough all around yeah it definitely is um you know it's so like you started off with elijah vera tucker your most mm -hmm. recent one is jabril cox so really to get into okay the chiefs have the number one 31 pick in the mm -hmm. first round obviously for the most part they're picking at the end of each round 
Uh, there's a few guys I have in mind the Chiefs could go. I know a lot of people after watching the Super Bowl are dead stuck on the Chiefs going offensive linemen. Mm -hmm. how, how concerned should the Chiefs be in drafting an offensive lineman in the first or second round this year? Because they only had like a weak offensive line, we could say, because of injury. But it wasn't mm -hmm. like a major injury. It was just those guys got hurt late enough to miss out on either the AFC Championship or the Super Bowl. How concerned should the Chiefs be in beefing back up that offensive line early? I think it's important. Like you, you mentioned the injuries. Eric Fisher tore his Achilles in the AFC Championship. So there's your left tackle. Um, your left guard was probably going to be Lucas Niang, who they drafted out of TCU. He opted out before the season started. So then you're stuck there. Kalichio Semele was their starting left guard got hurt in week five or week six, blew out both of his knees. So then you're down to your third string left guard who was really drafted to be a center. Then your center was actually healthy pretty much all year. Um, your right guard, uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, was the guy who went out and fought COVID. So he opted out before the season. And then Mitchell Schwartz, your all-pro right tackle, was out with a back injury that no one really talked about until after the season. He just got surgery. So you are probably getting three of those guys back. I mean, Fisher coming back from and late Achilles is going to be tough. They want to have him ready by August, but I just frankly don't see that. But man, it's one of those things where like a couple of those guys are over 30. Um, Niang was going to be a rookie, so you don't know how he's going to play. Um, so it's one of those things where I think that drafting early is definitely something that would help, but it's not quite as bad of a situation as people think. Right, and, and like you said, I mean, you look at basically throughout the season, their whole O-line between opting out and injuries, by the time it came down to the Super Bowl, it was a bunch of backups for the most part. Mm -hmm. It was pretty much a bunch yeah. of backups, um, and everybody knew there, there was nobody going into the game that knew it wasn't going to be a problem. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I think up until that game, we seen Patrick Mahomes as like immortal. I mean, mm -hmm. he's the he's arguably the greatest thrower of the football. No matter what, whether he goes, it's going to be tough to be the GOAT when you're talking about Tom Brady, who ended up getting his seventh Super Bowl ring against him. Uh, mm -hmm. Two years ago, he ends up beating Patrick Mahomes in a year where the Chiefs were on fire in, this, in the AFC Championship game in a shootout. So it's like in two big moments, he ended up losing to Tom Brady. But you look at Brady's accomplishments, and no matter how great Patrick Mahomes ends up being, it's tough to pass that up. But so with the first with the pick number 31 in the first round, who do you think with who you possibly project will be available? Um, there's a three or four guys that are in my mind that they could go. Where do you think the Chiefs will look primarily like what do you think covering them? They feel their need is primarily at pick 31. Man, I got to be honest with you. I don't think this dude will be there at 31, but he's a wide receiver. If Rashad Bateman is there like I would sprint to the podium and turn that card in. Like he's, he's a perfect X receiver for them. I think like the only thing he's missing is burners and he ran that four, three, eight. Now granted, like the combines this year, the timing of those 40 times, I'm not really trusting them too much because mm -hmm. everyone's running a four, two or a four, three. Yeah. 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 Everybody yeah. is. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Like even your big men are running like four eights and four nines and stuff when we know that they're over five seconds. So, um, Needless to say, Bateman is a dude that I really like at 31. But like I said, I just don't don't think he'll be there. Um, on the offensive line, I think Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, the big right tackle, he could be in play there. 
Um, Dickerson, I a lot of people think that he that's a reach at 31 just because of his injury history, and I get that. But the dude mm-hmm. is a top 20 talent, so I'd be fine with that. Um, Samuel Cosme from Texas, like there's Liam Eikenberg from Notre Dame. There's so many tackles. Leatherwood from Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, just really any offensive lineman. Like I just don't. Patrick Jones, the edge from Pittsburgh. I think he's an option. Jalen Phillips from Miami. Like if they go, I think it's either going to be offensive line, wide receiver, or edge at that first pick. Yeah. So speaking of wide receiver, you you the the dream scenario would be that Bateman drops to thirty one. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, I think available. If Bateman is gone by then, I think left available. Projections will be possibly Kadarius Tony. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but I think he could be left there. But you know, he does have speed. Speed kind of kills in the NFL, so he could go mm-hmm. a little bit earlier than projected. I think Rondell Moore may be there, but I also think Terrace Marshall Jr. would be there. Do you mm-hmm. think they would would it would it be a reach if they looked at Terrace Mar Terrace Marshall Jr. at 31? Yes and no. Like for me personally, I think that I'm a little bit worried about Marshall just because I think he has the tools, but I just don't know if he'll be able to put them together. But then again, Mm -hmm. like you can't teach his size. You can't teach his ability to get down the field and catch jump balls. Like you can teach him how to run better routes. You can teach him how to get separation and stuff like that. So he's a big body dude that the Chiefs have really been missing. I think because when Sammy Watkins is off the field, like, no disrespect to Tyree Kill, he's a top ten receiver easily, but he can't do some of the stuff that those bigger guys can do. Like he just simply can't. So um, I do like Marshall. I think he's going to be a good player in the league, and I think that thirty-one, depending on that board, would be fair for him for sure. Yeah. So like, okay. So if we move on to the second round, I'm not going to go all seven rounds. I know it gets tough, yeah. but <laughs> if we move on to the second round, they're going to cut. We'll say you know they're obviously best player available to what they need. Where do you see them, like, in the first three rounds to be a, a A grade or, or B plus, A minus grade for Kansas City Chiefs in the first three rounds? What positions or players do you think would be with that they could be at 31, um, 61, like, in, mm-hmm. in those, in that instance, where do you think that it will fall perfect for them at the end of three rounds? Like, okay, we won the draft. Because obviously when it gets deeper into the draft, fans start caring a little less and then you Mm -hmm. might start, there might be some reaches or there's talent or there's just names that nobody has done enough research about that. After Mm -hmm. the first day one and day two, it gets like only the true football junkies, the evaluators, the analysts, guys like us who have to cover it. it, it, Mm -hmm. That's who continues to watch four, five, six, and seven. So through the first three rounds, what would be the most successful combination of three picks that the chiefs could have to ultimately win this draft for them and their organization? Man, that that's a really good question. I think that any order of offensive line, edge, wide receiver, and then maybe even safety, like because they have Daniel Sorensen, who's just like your run-of-the-mill backup safety, but the Chiefs play in three safety sets a lot, so replacing him is going to be huge. Um, really, if they pass on a wide receiver in round one, I would love like – Amonra St. Brown from USC. I think he's really interesting. Um, Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another guy I should be thinking of right now. Um, he plays for – I'm drawing a blank on him. Oh, Diami Brown from UNC. I knew okay. I was thinking yeah, him. Yeah. I, he's a really dynamic dude, so I like him in round three. Um, in terms of offensive line, like if they wait – 
Brady Christensen from BYU is a left tackle. I think that could be like a third round ish pick mm-hmm. for them. Um, really looking at the edge board, the dude who plays opposite Jones, um, Rashad Weaver. I like him. I think that he's kind of a well-rounded player with a, a low ceiling, but a high floor. Um, Joe Tryon from Washington, Dalen Hayes from Notre Dame could be a third round pick. And then in terms of the secondary, like this safety class is pretty loaded this season. Like there's a mm-hmm. lot of good safety talent. Like you got Paris Ford, you got Richie Grant, um, Talanoa Hufanga from USC. And then Shakur Brown at corner is like the dude I think is super underrated. He played at Michigan state. He had, I think it was five picks last season. Like he led the NCAA in picks and like that's all the tape people have on though. So I mean, you're kind of you're buying on a dude who only played one good year. So um, there's needless to say, there's a lot of talent out there for them for sure. Yeah, I'm glad. Like I'm glad you hit on that and said Shakur Brown because mm-hmm. um, I've been doing like talking with guys about the draft and stuff, and he's been a guy I've been really high on. And the yeah. reason I'm really high, I look at I'm a big time Cowboys fan. I look at what mm-hmm. we need and all the directions we could go early. I think Shakur Brown could be there, probably will be there in the fourth or fifth round. I do a bunch of mm-hmm. uh, mock draft simulators, all seven rounds to pick, trade back, yep. and work out what to do for the Cowboys. And Shakur Brown is always available to me to pick him in about the mm-hmm. fifth or sixth round. And so I've been really high on him because I look like, okay, he'll probably end up being our second corner we've taken up to this point. Uh, so I'm looking at him as a backup corner anyway with high upside. You look at what he did mm-hmm. in the Big Ten. You look at some of the quarterbacks he faced. I mean, obviously, you have Justin Fields, and then you have everybody else. So we talk, mm-hmm. you know, but he played pretty good defense uh, against he, – he played, he played coverage really well against Ohio State going against Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, who both receivers will more than likely go in the first round um, mm-hmm. next year. Olave possibly would have been a first-round receiver – this year, if he would have entered the draft this year, you got Garrett Wilson. Obviously, they had four or five-star freshmen that came in. So you look at the type of talent he had to guard. All that he had to play against against Ohio State was NFL talent on top mm-hmm. of an NFL, you know, a top-five pick at quarterback. And then against Tanner uh, with Tanner Morgan over there at, at Minnesota, mm-hmm. he kind of had a down year, but he had a really good year last year. So some of the quarterbacks that he had to play against – was you got to evaluate that too and that it him able to lead the NCAA in picks. I'm just mm-hmm. glad that name got brought up because his name might get lost. And a lot of people, Shakur Brown, like Michigan State, what guy over there is dominant or dominant <laughs> enough for you to consider him? But I love his his draft stock is rising for me, but I love that mm-hmm. if my Cowboys could get him in the fourth or fifth round, I think that would be a win because, like I said, I think we might go secondary in the first two rounds. It's very possible uh, unless there's certain, you know, last year we went best player available at number uh, 17 and got C.D. Lamb. Yeah. Oh, it was C.D. Yeah. We got C.D. Lamb. Later. Yeah, yeah. Right. We right. got Diggs in the second round, which I yeah. loved. Uh, yeah. I wanted to go safety or corner in the first round, but when a guy like C.D. Lamb is sitting there, mm-hmm. you know, you just got to take him. You, you just don't pass up on him. Granted, we had Cooper and Michael Gallup, but I can see Dallas even doing that at number 10, but I think we'll have mm-hmm. – all defensive most majority of the defensive players I think will be available to us with the number 10 pick so real quick before we move on to basketball this is just to knock see where your head's at probably your head is mm-hmm. a lot deeper in mind than in the NFL draft your top five corners in order who are your top five corners going into this draft 
Man, top five. That's a tough one. Um, while I think, shout out Javon Diggs. Like, that was a dude who I looked at uh, heading into last year's draft, and I wrote up something on him for the Chiefs. I wish I had pulled up here, um, and I'm not quick enough to do so. But, man, I liked his physical tools. I thought that he was, like, a really competitive dude. He had good ball skills. And, like, he just played with a level of confidence at Bama that, like, people usually don't have, like, that are relatively inexperienced. Because wasn't he a converted wide receiver? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he was. So I think uh, he's a dude that really – he impressed me. And I was really hoping the Chiefs would take him. But now that the Chiefs, like – the weird thing about them is they're like 31st in investment in corners in the NFL, and they've been to the Super Bowl back-to-back years. So I guess they're showing that you don't have to pay the big money for a shutdown corner and you can get by with it. But, man, um, we could do a whole podcast about Javon Dix. I love him. But anyway, yeah. the top five corners, man, I don't know if I want to go Farley or Sertan number one. And – I think I'm going to go Sertan and like, it's close because he doesn't have those physical gifts that Farley has, but I think I'm going to go with him by a hair. I think that he kind of reminds me of Diggs a little bit, not in terms of the play style, but the swagger and stuff that he has mm-hmm. and the pedigree. Um, man, after that, after those two, I think JC Horn is probably the number three guy. Mm-hmm. And then maybe Greg Newsom from Northwestern number four. And then, Asante Samuel Jr. number five. I think I'm gonna stick with that. Yeah, those are so all five of those are in my top five. Actually, okay. I had Sertan one. I put JC Horn two, and I mm-hmm. got Farley three. Now, what you said about Farley is actually why I have a three. Mm-hmm. I don't know um, if you know with you writing on a lot of these guys and covering these a lot of these guys, you could correct me if I'm wrong. But what they're saying about Farley to me is very similar to what was said about Eli Apple coming mm. into the coming out of the draft or coming into the draft. I feel mm-hmm. like what we see, what we hear about Farley cuz there's a lot of like upside and potential with his athleticism, yeah. his length, his size. You don't see a guy who could jump it with the receivers, run with the receivers. Mm-hmm. A lot was said about Eli Apple the same way. His it was more his projection and his fit in the NFL than it was mm-hmm. what he did in college and Farley sat out a year. So that's kind of where I'm afraid with Farley. Like, if all the DBs are available, all the corners are available at number 10 for Dallas, I don't know if I would love the Farley pick. Now, granted, Mm -hmm. I'm not knocking him. My comparison to him is Eli Apple, but not based off of Apple's NFL production. Just from what I hear about Farley and what is said about him in everybody's evaluation, it's like if you go back to when Eli Apple came out of the draft, Literally Mm -hmm. the same stuff was said about him, his size, his athleticism. He has raw talent. We could, you know, he's going to be a great corner in the NFL. And -hmm. I think it's just so many questions. And then you see what Eli Apple. Now, I think Farley will come out and be what Eli Eli Apple was expected to be. So that's why I say that. But am I wrong for thinking that or, you know, that the same things were said? Like they're basically the same prospect in two different drafts. Yeah, no, not at all. And, like, the thing with those players who have the elite physical tools is sometimes people don't read between the lines and think about the rest of their game. Like, you can have all the physical tools in the world, but if you're not um, able to flip your hips consistently or you bite on double moves or something like that or you just don't want to get physical with opposing receivers, like, there's more to being an elite football player than just having the physical gifts and the potential. 
and Farley's a great player. He's going to be a really good NFL corner, but um, I think we're both in agreement that Sertan, definitely the reason that I think I like him personally, the dude just works. Like he's not blessed with the physical gifts of a Farley. He has to work for every rep. He has good technique. He's really refined. He's a technician. And I like, I always lean to those type of players just because they're, the dude's not an underdog. Obviously he's going to be a first round pick top 15, um, but an underdog in terms of he'll have to work a little bit harder than some other guys. Yeah. I mean, really Sertan is a lot like his dad. Like when you yeah. really think about yeah, it, yeah. like his dad wasn't the most physically gifted, the most athletic, but he just worked and, and mm-hmm. he wanted it a lot more than the guy lined up across him, you know? Yeah. So I do see that. And then I look at Sertan and I see the success Trayvon Diggs had as a rookie. Um, granted before, his foot injury, he struggled a little bit. But towards the end of the season, Trayvon Diggs really impressed me after he came back from that foot injury. He played really great football as a cornerback. And so that's what makes me look like, okay, if we can have two Alabama corners, uh, on, and, you know, obviously they played together, lined up alongside each other. But they'll have that chemistry together. And then, you know, I just look at what Trayvon Diggs did as a rookie. I think Patrick Sertan, you know, obviously it seems like Diggs fit in that system right away. Sertan's coming from that same system so I would love mm-hmm. I feel like it'd even be safe not to look at who's who you feel is better out of Sertan and Farley but who should probably translate better over to our system when you just got mm-hmm. his counterpart from the year before who fits in your system and he looks young and promising I mean they were ranting and raving about Diggs throughout the whole season up until he got his foot injury and then after he came back he came back strong he came back mm-hmm. like okay he got his graphs he understands the NFL and now he's going to become Hopefully an elite corner, but I think at the worst, he'll become a very good corner. If he's your second best Mm -hmm. corner, you have a great secondary. So, you know, to translate over, we talked about football, talked about the Chiefs. You also talked about you write for the Jazz and you're a columnist for Rashad Phillips. So we'll get into your, your Jazz reporting first. And the reason why, okay, the Utah Jazz, number one in the Western Conference, going Mm -hmm. into the All-Star break. But... We just had the, the the all-star draft between LeBron and Durant. So what I want to hit on, those two players were the last players to be drafted in the draft. Do you think there was a little spike between, you know, KD or LeBron as far as having Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert as the last two picks? I don't think so. I mean, I it's like I get the reasoning behind it. I guess the Jazz aren't like a flashy team, really, and they're kind of easy to overlook. And, like, I thought Gobert was going to be the last pick anyway, just because of the style of basketball that he plays, that it's not a, it's not fun to be in an all-star game with him. Like, that's just how it is. And then Mitchell, Mitchell, like he's one hell of a player. um, But there's just a ton of established dudes ahead of him who are better players than him. That doesn't mean he's not good, but it's just among the best of the league. He was one of the worst out of that group. So I completely understand why they were the last two picks. Um, I think it, there was no harm, man. I mean, Durant and LeBron just kind of, they thought it was funny. Um, obviously, Mitchell and Gobert probably didn't think it was funny, but everyone kind of laughed it off, and that's just kind of banter back and forth or whatever. Yeah, so so covering the Jazz, like we said, with their number one in the West Conference, they got the number one record um, mm-hmm. in the NBA, if I'm not mistaken. I know they're number one in the West. They have yeah. the number one record in the NBA. How has that been? Because I feel like coming into the season – there was no expectation 
or or thought that the Jazz would be the best team record-wise in the NBA. So how has that been covering them, especially when I feel like you got to be a little surprised, correct me if I'm wrong, you got to be a little surprised that they have the best record in the NBA. Oh, hugely surprised. Like I, as someone who has followed that team for like four or five years now, I'm used to the cycle of get to the playoffs, like put up a good regular season record, get to the postseason first round exit, second round exit, first round exit. Like just that's, that's the jazz. Like they're a really good regular season team. They get to the playoffs and they can't, they're not dynamic enough to do it. And like this year, I still don't buy them as a finals contender for sure. Like I think it's possible they stumble into the Western conference finals, but then get waxed by whoever they play. Um, But I just, they're a fun regular season team. The thing with me is like, they did improve quite a bit, but a lot of it was in-house. Like, all their three-point shooting has improved. They're shooting more threes as a team and embracing it. Mike Conley is playing a lot better. Bogdanovich is healthy, so you're basically getting those two guys. You're obviously not signing them, but you're adding them to the team. Like, because last year, Conley was hurt and injured, and Bogdanovich was hurt during the bubble. So you're getting those two guys back. Um, Derek Favors is now – they were getting just destroyed once Gobert came off the court last year. Derek Favors can hold his own as a defensive center. So those minutes are being better. And then they're shooting three. So it's not, it's a bunch of little things adding up. Mitchell, his numbers are pretty much the same, but he's taking more of a on and off the ball role. Like he's really evolved and matured as a player. And overall, they're just playing good basketball. It's kind of their, they're comfortable this year, I think. Yeah, I think part of what I see with the Jazz is you look at all these rosters, a lot of these rosters were new rosters in a year with minimal, very minimal offseason, let alone mm-hmm. hardly any training camp. But you look at the Jazz, they didn't really make any moves. They they brought mm-hmm. Jordan Clarkson back, who obviously is a six-man-of-the-year candidate, possibly the mm-hmm. leading candidate as six-man-of-the-year. He's playing amazing coming off the bench. But their core guys remain the same. They Their starting five is the same as last year. Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench. There were no major moves over there in Utah that chemistry would become an issue. Um, I know in the offseason with all the COVID stuff and people were trying to kind of, I guess you create a, a beef between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Yeah. I know before <laughs> the season revamped, we were hearing a lot about Donovan Mitchell's very unhappy with Rudy Gobert. I know he made a joke of it with the COVID situation. Was there ever a legitimate beef between them? Was there ever like an unhappiness with Donovan Mitchell? Because I know it seemed like he envied him because Donovan Mitchell ended up getting COVID right after Rudy Gobert. So was there ever mm-hmm. an unease? Because it seems like it's worked out now. I mean, they're the number one team in the NBA. They, they don't seem to be like that. We're cool on the court. We don't talk to each other off the court. Was there ever a beef or was that just more the media trying to create content in a time where there was no content to be created i think it was both um i think heading into the bubble that mitchell really was like ticked off at gobert um but then they got to the bubble and you're stuck with those dudes all day and Mm -hmm. you're just hanging out with them and all that stuff so um i think it was i'm not even gonna say because i don't want to give credit to the wrong person or not give credit to the right person but someone wrote an article on the athletic about how the jazz basically just threw them in and said, you guys are going to get along. Like you're going to play ping pong at the bubble. You're going to swim at the bubble. You're going to hang out and fish and just get over it. So um, I think they were at a neutral then like after the postseason and all that stuff. And then this off season, Mitchell completely put it behind him, him and Gobert are friends again and all that stuff. So like there was, 
not to the level to where they were going to demand trades or like say it's him or me because obviously you're not going to not check with Mitchell before giving Gobert a max extension or whatever he got. Like you're going to mm-hmm. check with your star player. So I think that that's just media in general. Like people like to overblow stuff and kind of make stuff bigger than it is. And you're fishing for news. Like you said, in a time where there wasn't a ton going on. I mean, that was just a weird time in general for everybody. So um, it, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree. And then, you know, to stick with the jazz one more time, we got Mike Conley, you know, got his first official all-star game uh, shot, mm-hmm. you know, due to Devin Booker being injured. Now there's a lot of questions about certain guys deserving to be over Mike Conley. Um, I think it's a surprise that Mike Conley has never made an all-star game, but I do look Mm -hmm. at the guards he had to go up against, compete against. You talk about starters is a lot of popularity. Most of the guys deserve to be starters. Nobody really does it, but it it becomes popularity. You talking about uh, uh, the conference where you have Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Russell Westbrook, um, Chris Paul is now, you know, he's in the West. He's been in the West for a while. So mm-hmm. you look at all those guys, and basically Mike Conley falls behind all of them. Rightfully so, but he's still always been really good. How how exciting is it for Mike Conley to finally get his all-star appearance after a long career of being really good? It's huge, man. Like, there have been a few years where Conley probably should have been an all-star, and like you said, it's it's kind of that popularity contest where a, he played in Memphis and they were, they're kind of like the jazz are now, like they're a good regular season team that played defense and they probably have a Western conference finals trip in them, but that's about it. So that was interesting. Um, I'm excited for him just because he's a good dude. He's a good player. He deserves good stuff to happen to him, but man, you look at Aaron Fox's season, you look at Shea Gilders Alexander's season, you look at, DeMar DeRozan season like Conley isn't doing anything spectacular he's just an efficient 17 and 5 or 16 and 6 or whatever it is so um, did he deserve that nod I'm not necessarily sure Um, I'm gonna say no comment on that but I guess Mm -hmm. I already incriminated myself but man I I am definitely happy for him and I think that at the end of the day it's an all-star nod it's one of those things that we'll look back on in 10 years and say oh cool that dude was a one-time all-star and just kind of move on do you think do you think with him getting the nod it had everything to do with Utah being the number 1 team in the NBA because you look at the Nets and obviously they had three all-stars they're second in the Eastern Conference but they had three all-stars obviously rightfully so Harden, KD and Kyrie Irving but you mm-hmm. look at with with the Jazz being the number 1 team in the NBA typically the number 1 team in the NBA has the most all-stars playing in the game you 2 to 3 guaranteed for the most part. I mean, we looked at the Atlanta Hawks one year. They had four All-Stars, and we contemplated whether they sh- their whole starting five deserved to mm-hmm. be in the All-Star game. I mean, we were talking about MVP, and we were, like, ready to give a team a whole starting five an MVP <laughs> award. So do you think Mike Conley got the nod for the simple fact over your DeMar DeRozan, your Gildress Alexander, your De'Aaron Fox, mm-hmm. because the Utah Jazz have the number one record in the NBA? Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. I think that has a great deal to do with it. Um, I think like it's partially a career achievement award. It's partially a he's having a good season, and it's really he's on the best team. Like you say, the MVP should go to the best player on the best team. Well, then 
people would be saying that Donovan Mitchell would be the MVP. And obviously that's not the case. Like he's a top 10 MVP candidate right now. Um, We all know how that award's going to go in terms of the top five or so at the end of the year. But it's one of those things where like the best player or the best players on the best team, if you play on the best team in the West or the league or whatever, you automatically get some more credit, which more power to him. Right. So to move on, you also said that you're a writer, you know, a columnist for Rashard Phillips. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for for anybody who's listening that follows basketball that doesn't know, he's considered one of the greatest basketball minds in the game today. Mm-hmm. Uh, his talent evaluation is second to none. You know, it's like you could almost go all day talking about his accolades and what he does for the NBA community. How has that been, being a columnist for him in his sports 2319 like, how has that been? I feel like there's got to be a little pressure when you're writing NBA under him because, like you said, everybody's going to pay attention to what you do. Everybody mm-hmm. respects what he does and any guy, any of the guys who do stuff under him, you know, I, th- I feel like you automatically get that, like, nod of approval because mm-hmm. if Rashad Phillips approved you and he approves your content. So is there any pressure and just how has that been? How has that experience working with him been? Yeah, man, there's no pressure, um, first of all, which which is a good thing, and it's a testament to how cool of a dude he is. And really, like, so backtracking to, I think it was, like, 2019 or 20, I think it was the summer of 2019. Like, I had pestered that dude in DMs because I saw that he was, like, teasing his website and promoting it. So I was like, I want to get in on this early and often. Like, I want to write for this dude. So I texted him and texted him and texted him. Finally, he was like, all right, dude. I'm going to start the website. I want you to have the first article on there, whatever, whatever. And like, he's always been just a down dude, like a real dude ever since, like just being really nice, being thoughtful, giving insight on stuff. Um, At first it was kind of where we'd work together on articles and collaborate on pitches and stuff like that, just to build up that brand. And now dude's a full blown megastar. So like, we don't have to do any of that stuff anymore. So now it's just after a while, I, we, I just didn't do anything for a while on the site. Like I was still in that inner circle and we were just kind of doing stuff on Twitter and uh, promoting each other's stuff. Then I, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, dude, I have that itch to get back on the site and publish stuff. Cause like, like you said, that dude's talent evaluation is the best. Like he will find the, the hidden gem of every draft or the 10 hidden gems or whatever. So I was like, man, I want to jump up and do, NBA stuff now because I was doing college stuff. Um, I wrote some stuff on Jordan Burns from Colgate, Colby Ross from Pepperdine, just guys that need some more love, I think, mm-hmm. at the college level. And he was like, okay. So now it's just a really cool opportunity to just write about stuff that pops up. And like, I'll shoot him a text and say, how about this? Like, I did my first one back was something on Julius Randle. And he has that whole position dictionary that he came out with. Mm-hmm. And he's a dual forward. And he was like, all right, here's a quote on that. And we can just plug it. So it's a perfect plug between me getting able to say stuff that I want to say, him being able to promote his own terminology and stuff like that. And then just a love of basketball. Like that's really what the whole side is about is just finding what you like in the game. And there's something for you, like whether it's high school prospects, eighth graders playing right now, full-fledged NBA stars, like scouting reports, videos, podcasts, like that dude. Shout out Rashad Phillips. He's just a really cool dude. Yeah, man. I, You know, I've been following him um, for some months now. And so mm-hmm. speaking of the position dictionary, uh, with a guy who 
I, I have these conversations like with my dad. So like we talk yeah. about um, when I, I ask my dad, he's still to this day like he feels like Chris Paul is the best point guard in the NBA. My dad has that same thought process of like he doesn't consider Steph Curry a true point guard. You know, he mm -hmm. holds on to that traditional value of what a point guard is. So how amazed because it was crazy when, when he came out with that. I, I was following him up to that point. He came out with it. I listened to his first podcast talking about yeah. it. Obviously, I follow everything that the guys over there, all you guys do. You know, I've, I've been able to talk with Max before, and, and we kind of mm -hmm. talked about the position dictionary. I was listening to your Max show when you, he brought you on for his football segments. But what yeah. is – how amazing was it that somebody, a guy like him, was able to create – not only have the time, but take the time out and really a full-blown thought process in creating like 10 other positions in the NBA that made sense. Like, were you amazed when you first heard it, thought of, and, or when he first brought the thought to the table? Like, I was amazed. I was impressed by it. And I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is definitely beyond something I could think of off the top yeah. of my head. So it, was it like as amazing for you to hear his position dictionary and then when he plugs the players to the type of position that he has when you talk about combo guards and, and dual mm -hmm. forwards and what he does, point centers with Jokic and like Embiid, they're not real Shaq type centers, but mm -hmm. they're point centers. Was it like just as amazing to see that and be like, man, that takes that's a different dude right there. Yes, like it it's insane and like you you grow to expect stuff like that out of him just because it also shows how much he wants to change how the game is evaluated and change how people talk about it because you have too many people who say this dude is this position or this dude let me pull up my spreadsheet to say what his numbers are like it, that's not basketball like basketball shouldn't be on a spreadsheet basketball shouldn't be five different positions and I think a lot of it comes from part of the reason he wasn't in the NBA is because he wasn't evaluated correctly. Like that was just a different game back then. People didn't take the time to show love to the smaller school kids and the guys who were smaller players that wanted to shoot and were just dynamic. That, that just wasn't hoops back then. So um, he's really channeled that into the position. The position dictionary is insane. Like that night that he dropped it, I was texting him back and forth and like, I still do. I'll be like, here's a player. And within five seconds, he'll, he, his reply game is insane for a dude who's like so busy and has so many people. Shout out to him for that. He'll reply within like five seconds and be like, this dude's a hybrid guard. This dude's a traditional guard. This dude's a combo guard. This dude's a point forward, a stretch big, hybrid post, all that stuff. And there's literally a slot for every player. And it's not like one of those things where you call people a point forward or a one through four interchangeable switchable like every single player will have a slot and th and that's insane and people try to poke holes in it and you can't because literally everyone has a spot every spot makes sense like the definitions aren't always extremely different like there's little intricacies in between them but it's it's an insane thing like i still have trouble wrapping my head around all those like possibilities yeah and i mean like checking it out it was like it makes sense because you can't yeah. look at Steph Curry, look at Chris Paul, tell me mm -hmm. they're the same position and evaluate them fairly. Um, yeah. You know, you look at you look at LeBron James, you look at Kevin Durant. I don't think they, they're two different type of small forwards in a sense. So you can't evaluate them fairly 
and pick mm-hmm. apart LeBron because he's not Durant or pick apart Durant because he doesn't do what LeBron does. And so that position dictionary basically said, you know what? I got a slot where I would consider, okay, LeBron is the guy for here and players like LeBron. And then I got a slot for Kevin Durant and players like Kevin Durant. So it was definitely amazing to see, but you know, man, Jordan, I appreciate all your time that you gave me. Um, bro, this is definitely dope. Able to talk NFL draft talk some NBA. So I'm going to give the floor to you to close out the show. Uh, give us your plugins, some projects. If you can unveil any projects that you have coming up um, and, and just, you know, the floor is yours, bro, to close out the show. Yeah, man. First and foremost, thank you for having me on. Like this was a really dope conversation. I'm always down to come back on. Um, if you're willing to have me back on oh, to chat for really anything. Yeah. Um, I need to be following baseball more. That's something I need to expand on into. So that might be something that works. Um, really just trying to finish out the second half of this 100 and 100, get stuff like that done, um, published for Bashad. So I like every six months or so I'll look into like, I need to try to do something new and like add something. I feel like everybody has that moment. And like, I've kind of been feeling that way lately. So I don't know what's up next. Um, but that, that's the good thing about sports media. Like you connect with people like you who one week ago, you never really thought, Oh, I'm going to be on the show this day, whatever happening. Then you meet up with someone on Zoom. Like, that's another COVID thing where before COVID, I never went on people's shows this way, like via Skype or Zoom or whatever. It's really Twitter has opened up an entirely new space for, like, everybody to chat and meet up. And you can do different broadcasts and Zoom and just uh, StreamYard, all that stuff. So, man, thank you for having me on. I'm at Footnoted on literally every social media platform. And, man, just thanks a lot, dude. Yeah, I appreciate you for coming on. And, you know, you hit a key point. It's like COVID kind of expanded everybody's availability and ways Mm -hmm. to create content because, like, I started this right before COVID started. And now, like, I've been able to link with so many people. Like, I've been able to link with you. I've I've checked out Rashad's stuff. I haven't been able to link with But even, like, Max, you know, shout out to Max. Max. Yeah, yeah he, he does great stuff. I've been able to link with him. We chat here and there on Twitter. I pay attention to everything he says. So, you know, mm-hmm. but I do appreciate you for coming on. For those listening, y'all know where to follow me at Up in Flames Pod everywhere. Mo underscore cheese 15 for my personal account. Up in Flames Sports Podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, um, I, I got the mock draft coming up. Picks 21 through 32 next week. It'll also be on the same day as my one year anniversary for my debut episode for up in flames. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, continuing covering draft, you know, hopefully when you're done with your whole hundred, hundred, we could get back together and just talk about your full body of work. You're halfway done, you know, so I'd love to get back on when you're done with the hundred, hundred, uh, bring you back on for end of draft, you know, end of draft talk. So I'm definitely looking forward to all the people I've linked with to continue, you know, create friendships and stuff like that. But, On that note, Up in Flames is out.